Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Thanksgiving from 2023, directed by Eli Roth, written by Eli Roth and Jeff Rendell, starring Nell Verlack, Jalen Thomas Brooks, Tommaso Sinelli, Addison Ray, Gabriel Davenport, and People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive for 2023, Patrick Dempsey. In this film, a group of high schoolers in Plymouth, Massachusetts, is stalked by a mass killer dressed as a pilgrim. And if you're new to the show, we're going to talk some spoiler-free background info on this movie for the first 15 or 20, and then we'll take a little break, play some transition music, and that's when we are going into spoiler mode, where we walk through the plot in detail and review it as we go, and then rate the film on a scale of 0 to 5. Ashwin, were you excited for this movie? Yeah, I, I was pretty excited for it. Uh, it wasn't on my radar at the beginning of the year, but uh, I remember seeing that 2007 trailer in Grindhouse and, and really being into it. And uh, yeah, when I found out that this was being turned into a film uh, a few months ago, uh, I got pretty excited. And I feel like we've seen a few of Eli Roth's movies over the years, and uh, I've come to like him as a director. But how about you? I have too. Like, I'm kind of surprised by how much I like Eli Roth's movies for the most part. Um, I mo- mostly hostile in the Green Inferno. Like mm. Cabin Fever, I enjoyed. Not over the moon about it, but the Green Inferno and Hostel were two movies I did not expect to like, and found them to be pretty darn entertaining. Yeah, they were. They were. What would you say Eli Roth's uh, brand is like across those like three or four movies? Like it definitely leads into the gore uh, yeah, kind of splatter. Splatter is fair for sure, and there's an undertone of humor in everything he does, and a little bit of. Uh, lampooning of society and an anti-PC vibe to some of it as mm. well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I think he got a lot of heat for um, for Green Inferno, right? Um, is that what you mean by anti-PC? Is like, yeah, how he depicted uh, the cannibals? Yeah, and he kind of lambast social justice warriors oh, yeah, right. in that film. Uh, I think he even got some flack for his depiction of, oh shit, what country was? Uh, maybe was that Brazil or something. In I've... no, I, in, for hostile, I mean. Oh, hostile. Oh, okay, somewhere in like yeah, Europe. <laughs> you got some feedback for that country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. he's kind of like in Quentin Tarantino of, of horror sometimes. Indeed, he kind of is. Some people might say we're giving him too much credit by bringing Quentin Tarantino's name into it, but. Oh, I get what I, you mean. Yeah, I guess more on the controversial side of things. Like, <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. Like, and then I feel like an unabashed love for Grindhouse cinema, mm. that they both share that, and they both aren't afraid to like lean heavily on those outrageous things that were done in those films mm-hmm. and lean into the gore and the nudity and the offensiveness for entertainment's sake. Right, yeah, they know how to do it. They're not ignorant to the fact that this is offensive stuff, but they revel in it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and yeah, that was definitely obvious in like Hostel, Green Inferno. Did you feel I, Kevin Fever? I thought was a little bit more balanced, but I think it got pretty uh, wacky towards like yeah, the the middle and ending, right? Yeah, that wasn't as much uh, touching on so many points of like society or anti-PC culture or just being offensive in general, though there were certainly 
there was certainly offensive language and, and dialogue in that, but it wasn't like the crux of the film was yeah offensive on its face. Right, yeah, yeah. I think I think the other films definitely lean more into that. But then I was totally shocked about this. Uh, the movie Knock Knock, I didn't know that was Eli Roth, did you? Yes, I did know that, that was Eli oh Roth. Oh, God. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, that movie's a stinker. It really is. How is that Eli Roth? Like, everything we talked about, none of that is in that film. Yeah, that's his. That's the film of his I like the least uh, that I've seen. So, yeah, I kind of just write that one off. Yeah, I, I yeah, I guess you have to. It just it doesn't fit in with the, any of his other work. Yeah, and I mean, not a horror film. I haven't seen, aside from that, I haven't seen any of his non-horror work. So, Oh, interesting. I would, I would consider Knock Knock like a home invasion type of movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it walks the line. I'd consider it more of a thriller. Mm, yeah, thriller, sure. Um, but, you know, it's funny. So this, as you said, is an adaptation of that fake trailer that he did for Grindhouse back in 2007, which was the pairing of Death Proof and Planet Terror. Three of the five of those fake trailers have been turned into movies now. That's, That's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> a decent I, I, percentage. The other two are Robert Rodriguez, right? Uh, one of them is Machete is the Robert Rodriguez film. Oh. And then Hobo with a Shotgun, which was, uh, I don't know who directed the feature length, but the trailer came from a group of filmmakers named Jason Eisner, John Davies, and Rob Cotterill. Mm. Cool. So that became a movie. And then the only two that haven't been turned into feature-length films are Werewolf Women of the SS by Rob Zombie and Don't by Edgar Wright, oh, okay. which I think both <laughs> would make excellent films. I sat down and watched all these trailers today, and boy, they're pretty incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man, this movie kind of breaks your rule of like not watching the trailer ahead of time because you'd seen this uh, trailer before, right? I guess I had seen the 2007 trailer. I did not watch the trailer for this one. Ah, okay, okay. But it was fun to go backwards. I hadn't seen that trailer in 16 years, so I didn't remember it. Same. It was fun to go watch it and be like, oh, they actually put a lot of that in the movie. Yeah, that was really cool to tie that back. Yeah, very fun. Really neat. But uh, I also wonder, I, well, first, like on, on the one thing you're talking, uh, do you think when these filmmakers put together those trailers back in like 2006, 2007, they, the idea was there that like these are ideas that we're thinking about making a movie on in the future, or was it more based on like the reception that Grindhouse as a film got that like gave the momentum to make these into full film? That's a really good question. I feel like you'd have to go through each filmmaker individually and ask like, did you have this in your head that maybe you'd make this one day? Right. I, I think Edgar Wright's seems the most like an all-out joke. Okay. The film is just called Don't, and he just says the word don't over and over again. <laughs> and it vaguely seems like a a house full of like demonic or evil things. It almost feels like a send-up of Fulci films. Hmm. But it doesn't seem like this is a real coherent... Like, there's something here. It just seems <laughs> like of, yeah. a bunch of collective spooky images. It's an awesome trailer, but... yeah. Uh, cool. That's the one that seems less like I have an idea for a movie. Sure, sure. Cool. I'll have to go back and watch that. Yeah. Uh, the second question I had for you is uh, those being trailers in that 2007 film, they definitely like set an expectation for these movies. Do you feel like then uh, these like this film is coming out, um, what is it, like 15 years, 16 years after that trailer? Is that right? Am I doing the math on that? 16 years, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, 16 years later, you're a director and you're like holding yourself to a vision of like a trailer you put out like so long ago. Uh, is that setting you up for success or for failure with audiences? Boy, I, I don't know. I mean, and I think there's something there about how creativity can be sparked by giving yourself some limiting factors. So if Eli Roth is sticking to his guns and saying, the things that we included in that trailer, let's put them in the movie, mm. then he knows, okay, there has to be a scene at a parade where so-and-so happens. I won't say them in case some people don't even like the trailer. Spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, then you have all these pieces where you're like, okay, we have to hit these beats. Now how do we do it? Yeah. So that could spark creativity. It sounds like it was kind of a drawn-out process too, and Roth had some the script was at some places he wasn't happy with and he's been tinkering with it over the years so yeah that's true i can't even remember what your question was <laughs> well yeah it, it, just like what it does to a director to like tie yourself to an idea so sure. so uh long ago and then i think the expectation on the audience side like yeah i, I think unanimously people love that trailer and uh after so long like the hype is like built up i so i, I wonder if almost you're coming in uh, with two things against you. One, like it's been so long, like are you even bought into that vision anymore? And then two, uh, yeah, is the uh, expectation now just like way too high and there's no way for you to live up to it? It just seems a little bit dangerous. I would think one aspect of that problem exists with a lot of screenplays where it may be an idea that the writer came up with a long time ago and it seemed like a good premise and a good idea. They've been tinkering with it over the years, or maybe they just put it on a shelf or had the idea rolling in the back of their brain. Then they go to put pen to paper, and things get complicated, and you're like, shit, was this even a good idea to begin with? <laughs> and you sure. start to doubt yourself. So I think it's probably less unique of an experience than you think. But yeah, mm. at the same time, sure, there's some expectations there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I yeah, I guess personally, I think about like an idea I would have thought of sixteen years ago, and like having to execute it on it now. Like, uh, yeah, that, that just, it just sounds like a nightmare. But uh, it's it's also a cool exercise. Like you said, you're going to do this, and and now you're right. Like you have to play to those rules a little bit. I had an idea for a screenplay years ago, and I have finally started to write it, just in the past few weeks, and. I'm experiencing a little bit of that myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> is this even a good idea? What yeah. am I doing? How many hours am I going to spend on this bad idea? <laughs> sure. I imagine a lot of writers <laughs> kind of have to fight that over and over again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, with any idea, I'm sure. That's a good point. Uh, anyway, Thanksgiving horror movie, John Squires, the editor-in-chief of Bloody Disgusting, tweeted a tweet, uh, or X'd an X, that I wanted to talk to you about. He said... The wildest thing about Thanksgiving's long journey to reality is that it's been 16 years since Eli Roth tossed the idea out there, and we're as in need of the definitive Thanksgiving horror movie today as we were in 2007. And then he qualified that he a little bit. He went on to recommend some Thanksgiving horror movies that are out there. But I think he's right. There really isn't like that definitive one that every horror fan throws on around this time of year. Some of the films he mentioned were Blood Rage, Pilgrim, Black Friday, but I'm guessing a lot of horror fans, A, may not have even heard of some of those, and B, may not have seen them. Totally. Whereas with most other holidays, we have either one that's like, this is it, this is the one, like April right. Fool's Day, or we Black have Christmas. a plethora of ones to choose from. Yeah, like Black Christmas, if that's not your definitive Christmas horror, maybe Gremlins is, or maybe yeah. Inside is. Or Krampus, or something, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. We don't even really 
have enough for people to have this is my go-to. Right. I'm sure we'll get some emails of people who are like, fuck you guys, I do have my <laughs> go-to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Go-to. Yeah. But I don't think many people do, and I don't think many people share that that movie. Yeah, that's so weird. Because uh, I, I found a list of all these Thanksgiving horror films, and there's so many. Like, And, and you're right, Like, I, I never would have, like, if you'd asked me a year ago to name one, outside of like that that one with like the turkey in it called Thanks, Thanks Killing. Killing. I, yeah, I, I don't think I've heard of any others, but then there's like this whole list of them out there. So uh, I don't know what it is. Is it because of the, do you think it's because of like the nature of the holiday or like where it falls like between Halloween and Christmas as like kind of a no man's land for horror films or something? Or what do you, what do you, what do you think the reason is? I have no idea. I need to dig through some of those these lesser known titles and and figure it out. When you saw those lists, did you see many that had Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving type phraseology in the title? Uh, yeah, I mean Pilgrim. You mentioned uh, there was a movie that came out a few years ago called The Oath, uh, which I guess is like a Thanksgiving uh, movie. Do you remember that one? I, th- I think I remember seeing a trailer for it. Relatively. Sounds vaguely familiar, but not really. Uh, poultry Geist. <laughs> oh yeah, heard of that one. Uh, there's an, there's also another Thanksgiving, but like instead of a, a KS, it's an X. Uh, that looks pretty interesting. So I I don't know. I, I was like when I was seeing that list, I was like, oh man, maybe next November we should just do a whole month of like Thanksgiving horror because yeah, these these movies all looked like pretty promising and and it's similar to like what we talked about with the other holiday horror films they're they're mostly slashers so uh it would be kind of cool to start uh digging more into this but it is so weird that uh thanksgiving isn't like known for any like one famous horror film we've talked about that before in the past how just naming your movie after a holiday can guarantee you some viewing and reviewing every year but it doesn't seem to be that way for thanksgiving like people aren't as into thanksgiving horror so yeah i think we we can touch back on this at the end of the review and see you know, do we think he did it? Do we think he made something that's going to be a definitive Thanksgiving horror movie, at least for some fans? Yeah, interesting. Hey, do you you don't think it has anything to do with like? I know there's uh, been more awareness of like, I well, yeah, obviously Thanksgiving can be like a problematic holiday potentially if you think about the implications uh, historically. Uh, so do you think that has anything to do with like it not being big on like the horror radar? No, because I don't think that people were that in touch with the problematic implications of Thanksgiving until very recently. Okay. <laughs> and it's been 16 years since this. Yeah. He identified this need in the marketplace, and it has remained un uh, unmet. Yeah. But my, my guess is, like, even, like, going forward, I, like, I don't know. Like, do you think this... Well, we'll talk about it in the review, but yeah, I just wonder if this film's, like, going to be one that's, like, on the shelf uh, of, like, it's your, it's your go-to movie for Thanksgiving or not. Sure, sure. All right, great. We will look for, forward to that discussion later. Another yeah. thing I wanted to discuss, uh, there's a theory during the pandemic and in, as the pandemic was unwinding, a popular thing for horror fans and horror journalists to do on Twitter especially was to theorize about what type of movies the pandemic would create. What type of horror movies? You know, if you take it into the context of oh, the Great Depression created all these monster movies, the Vietnam War, War created all these uh, hyper-realistic, uh, gory movies of the 70s, and 9-11 did the torture porn thing. What's mm-hmm. the pandemic going to do? Some people were like, oh, you know, zombie, apocalyptic, zombie, yeah. contagion. And then there was a pretty big pushback on saying, no, that's too obvious. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of people were arguing, hey, it's going to be slashers. Hmm. Interesting. And I'm just wondering, this year so far, we've got Thanksgiving, Scream 6, Sick, Totally Killer. You could maybe argue Candyland and Megan are slashers. 2022 had Pearl, X, Bodies, 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 Terrifier 2, Scream 5, Halloween Ends, The Texas Chainsaw Remake. There's a few more in 2021. Oh, this so, year also had uh, The Blackening, right? That was also a slasher. Yeah, yeah, sure, The Blackening, good point. I'm just wondering, A, do we have enough evidence to even speak on this with any intelligence or information at all? And B, is it is it happening? <laughs> if we do, can we say that, yes, it is happening? It is happening. Like, horror films are uh, recognizing, or like, yeah, it's starting to embed uh, elements of the pandemic into the film's. Basically, what I'm saying is, is the slasher genre booming due to the pandemic? Like, is this the legacy of the slasher of the pandemic in in horror? Like, is it leading to more slashers? And I think so many of these were probably in the works already or they had the original film pre pandemic. Then maybe it's a little bit too early to tell. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's enough slashers to say this still could be, they could be right. They, hmm. It still could be slashers. Yeah. Why would the pandemic, uh, if, if it was going to bring about a rise in some kind of genre, yeah, I would have guessed zombies or uh, I actually, so I, I came in with the, the opposite idea here uh, to ask you about, which is I thought slashers are on the demise in like the last year. Because uh, like this year, if you look at like the top box office, it's like, yeah, Scream 6 is probably like the only big slasher that's uh, out of the horror films this year, uh, which is franchise. And, and like you know, the last few years, maybe you had like a Halloween or something popping up into the, the box office and, and bringing in, in the Terrifier series. But I, I feel like this year we haven't had like a, an original new slasher. Interesting you put Megan in there, though. So I, you might be onto something with that. But I thought and, and if, if we're wondering where uh, the pandemic energy is going, I wonder if uh, the all the rise of like supernatural films this year has something more to do with uh, the pandemic. Because that, to me, seems more aligned to like, this idea that uh, you get um, you catch something, like, uh, like a demon or something, or like you get possessed, or, or something happens there that's like contagious that can be spread around and, and uh, mess people up. So, yeah, I'm curious, like, what, what would tie a slasher to a pandemic versus a supernatural film? And then, two, I feel like slashers are going away. But what do you think? I think that's interesting that you bring up that genre of supernatural film, like possessions and Evil Dead Rise type stuff, rather than right. The Nun 2. Although The Nun 2 has some possession angles, too. Um, so there was an article, I'm really leaning heavily on Bloody Disgusting in this episode, but <laughs> there was an article written by a writer there named Julianne Stipidus about this topic, about why it might be slashers. And a quote from the article is, she says, pandemic pandemic slash quarantine life has become one big backdrop for a slasher movie allegory and both come with a rigid set of rules don't leave the house it could be anywhere stalking all of us don't party with friends don't touch each other don't have sex Mm. kind of like this moral you know like the moral rules of the slasher like don't don't be teenagers and have fun and do crazy things was like a reality in the pandemic like ah i see yeah you could get punished for this like you you could reap what you sow here Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Slashers are notorious for having like rules that the character is supposed to follow and they break them and die, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good but point. But yeah, that's another thing that 
I kind of started thinking about those possession type movies too, like When Evil Lurks, which we just talked about. Yeah. Last I think you could bake it down to like we are afraid of people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, whether it's sure. because you're gonna get a germ from them, or now we've become more politically divided than ever. That you're gonna not see eye to eye with them. Yeah, like learn that they are the enemy, even the people close to you. Right. So that's why something like when evil lurks, the evil dead rise really kind of fits the bill because. It's not on the nose like a Contagion movie, but you are, it's kind of spreading and no one really knows quite how or why. Yeah, and someone might have it, you don't even know, and they look like themselves, but sure, they, they yeah. got something in them. Yeah, yeah. people you always held dear and close to you are suddenly either physically dangerous or dangerous in that you find out they've been harboring this whole worldview that you don't agree with <laughs> yeah that's true that's true yeah yeah two, two levels of uh, fear there uh i do you uh that, that's a really good point though like uh, about the pandemic and the influence on this film i actually thought this film had a lot of influence uh from another big event from a few years ago which you know i thought we also saw this in halloween kills like january 6th like is that informing a lot of our slasher films these days Right. Good question. Yeah. The, I mean, the film, the inciting incident in this film is a kind of a Black Friday mob of people. Yeah. Yeah. January 6th could have a, a decent impact on horror as well. Yeah. That's what I totally thought what they were going for with that opening. And I remember like Halloween Kills, it kind of had like that crowd mentality of like people, uh, yeah, just kind of raiding a place, uh, going above the law. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, that some of that's filling over into some of these new movies. Yeah, very well could be. I mean, the Black Friday stuff is real. Like, that really happens. So that might just be riffing on Black Friday stuff. So Does it really? Like, you've been, uh, like, pe- people die in those Black Friday stampedes? Yeah, I've killed some people in the box stores. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's people do. It's, it's happened, for Damn, sure. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and I believe Eli Roth even saw something like that on the news and then had the idea, like, Okay, that's the inciting incident for our the Thanksgiving movie we want to make. Oh man! Between between the trailer and now. Yeah, I just thought with like Amazon Prime and stuff, like uh, everyone's just sitting at home ordering shit online. Who's who's hanging out in front of the store that late? Yeah, I gotta believe it's gotten better now, but you know, yeah. in the past couple of decades, there's been some violence. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. All right, well, we're going a little long on the first half here, so real quick, Rotten Tomatoes' critic score is 82%, and the user score is 79%, so overall, people are pretty up on this movie. It had a $15 million budget, and so far, uh, according to Box Office Mojo, on the Monday after its release, uh, it's got $12.6 million after its opening weekend, which seems pretty decent on its budget. We'll see where it ends up. Um... Let's see. Cinematography by Milan Kadima, who shot Hostel and Hostel Part 2. And the music by Brandon Roberts, who's uh, scored a lot of horror movies lately. The Nun 2, the entire Fear Street trilogy, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines this year. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much else I want to mention in the background info section. Do you have anything else? Uh, not of note. I think I'm good. All right. Before we go too far, though, uh, some shout outs to our newest patrons. Thank you very much to R, Poglin, Brian B, Estefani, Colin D, Harrison K, Natalie T, David M, Locke, Kyle B, Julia, Maggie P, Connor D, and Reed. 
Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. We really appreciate that. If you want to support the show, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange button for Patreon. Subscribe for a dollar a month and you'll gain access to some bonus episodes. After this, we're going to be recording an episode on Twilight, which will probably come out uh, before the end of the month. So, yeah, there's that. And uh, a quick happy Thanksgiving to everyone who celebrates it. And I will head into the Ohio Connection, which is done every episode for us by our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you love great drinks and great food and you're in the Northeast Ohio area, swing by Jukebox. Tell Alex we say hi. And he connects every movie to our home state of Ohio for us. And he says, Thanksgiving is a slasher film directed by Eli Roth from a screenplay written by Jeff Rendell and based on Roth's mock trailer of the same name from 2007's Grindhouse. The film is set on Thanksgiving weekend after a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy. A mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts. There are countless Thanksgiving traditions both in America and around the world. Among them is watching American football. The NFL hosts games on Thanksgiving Day and Black Friday, and for college teams, the regular season ends on Thanksgiving weekend, and a team's final game is often against a regional or historic rival, such as the Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn, the Oregon Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State, the Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State, and Michigan and Ohio State playing in their rivalry game, often simply called The Game. The Ohio State University is located in Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, I was debating uh, watching that this this weekend. Are you going to watch any of those games? No, I just don't watch uh, football at all anymore. Um, Yeah, same. (laughs) I don't know. I was was at a a party like the other week, and uh, someone from Michigan was there. And, uh, yeah, I have, like, no uh, affiliation with any sports team. But I felt like facing off with someone from Michigan, it like brought out something where I had to pretend like I was like really gung ho about Ohio State. I mean, you so went to like, Ohio State. I did, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I felt like this need to be, to represent or something. But it's pretty silly. There is a pressure among all groups, especially of men, to be a, a, <laughs> an extreme sports yeah. fan, especially with football, right? And it's yeah, a, just to like fit in. It's a unique thing to just have to be like. I feel like I used to smile and nod, but now I just kind of walk away. <laughs> <laughs> just don't oh, Straight up, guys. <laughs> yeah. No idea what you're talking about. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's, let's walk through the plot here. We're going to spoil everything. So if you haven't seen this movie, go see it in the theater before you listen. And uh, let's do it. But do you mind holding on one second? I've actually got something in the oven, buddy. Oh, cool. Yeah, sure. All right. I'll be right back. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for holding on. I'm back. Hey, how's everything looking in the oven? Uh, you know, it's going well. We are going to have more people than usual coming over this Thanksgiving, so I had to switch to something bigger than a turkey. Oh, nice. What did you have in mind? Uh, it's it's an ostrich. 
Oh, nice. A little ostrich burger? Yeah, just a little ostrich burger. Are those real? Are there really ostrich burgers? I don't know. I'm just watching that Seinfeld where George keeps asking about the ostrich burger. He's like, oh, uh, they're good for you, but the problem is you eat too much ostrich or something. Or I, I don't know. Just some crazy logic around it. But I, are, are they real? I don't know. They are giant birds. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole joke there was that I was making you believe it was a human being, but... Oh. <laughs> then it would be an ostrich. It wasn't that funny, but now I'm curious about eating an ostrich. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to find an oven big enough to squeeze one of those in. I'd feel a little bad about killing an ostrich. They're just so big, they feel significant. Oh, so you go by size of the animal. To, for, to <laughs> correlates to your guilt. I, not, maybe a little bit, to be honest. I, I eat beef, but I feel a little bad about it. But like a turkey and a chicken... They're so stupid looking and weird. <laughs> like yeah. I would just, I'd kill one of those with my bare hands. Yeah. Where, where do you fall on ducks? Oh, you know, I don't really want to eat ducks as much. They are tasty and I do eat them, but I like ducks as, yeah. as, uh, as animals. Oh yeah. They're nice as animals and they're like, yeah, super tasty too. Uh, they are tasty. Like, yeah. A real luxury bird there. I mean, turkeys are assholes, like a wild turkey. Yeah. Big yeah. assholes. <laughs> they had this holiday coming for them. They really they really did. <laughs> yeah. All right, anyway. Uh we can you can check out our bird podcast for more of that. <laughs> but this film opens with what seems to be an homage to Halloween as someone standing outside of a home is breathing heavily and we see their first person point of view. But it's revealed to be only the local sheriff who is showing up at a party hosted by a man named Mitch who works as as a manager at the local Wright Mart store, which is kind of like a Walmart. Um, Mitch and his wife named Amanda, who is played by Gina Gershon, and Amanda answers the door and greets the sheriff, played by Patrick Dempsey, at the door. And as he hands her the homemade pie he's brought to the party, she comments that a man in uniform who can bake surely won't be single for long. Uh, We also learn that Mitch has to cut out from the Thanksgiving party early because his boss has decided to open Wright Mart on Thanksgiving night to get an early jump on Black Friday shopping. We also meet uh, Thomas Wright's daughter, Jessica, who is leaving her own Thanksgiving party at the Wright's house to hang out with some friends from her high school. And while they're out and about, they decide to drop by Wright Mart to buy one of her friends a new phone. And we get a quick rundown on some of Jessica's friends. She's going to be our main character. Uh, Jessica is dating Bobby, who is a big-time baseball star and destined to become a professional pitcher. There's also Ryan, who flirts with Jessica despite knowing that she's dating Bobby, and the two of those guys, of course, butt heads. And there's a giant crowd gathered outside the Wright Mart store and only two security guards to contain them. Everyone's waiting to rush in and be one of the first 100 shoppers to get a free waffle iron and get all the deals for Black Friday, and they're getting pretty unruly. But Jessica and her friends are able to get into the store before it opens to the public since she is the owner's daughter. While inside the store, Jessica's friend Evan taunts someone outside through the glass, rubbing it in that they're inside the store while everyone else has to wait, and this enrages the crowd who eventually breaks through the glass doors and starts a stampede that kills one of the security guards, breaks Bobby's throwing arm, and gruesomely kills Amanda when she is partially scalped after her hair gets caught in the wheels of a shopping cart. 
And when the sheriff comes upon the scene and finds Amanda's dead body, he's outraged and saddened and shoots his gun into the air to stop the chaos. And that is the end of this opening scene. What did you think of that? Yeah, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. At first, it felt a little bit like whiplash because you're meeting like so many people. You're like at two Thanksgiving dinners, and then you're in this car, and these kids are like yelling something, and like I really couldn't understand what they were saying because I can't understand kids anymore. And then, uh, yeah, th- then they go into this uh, store, and uh, yeah, I, I thought like the way they built the tension of the people at the gates to me, like that that felt a little unbelievable because I've never seen that. But it, it sounds like you have more experience or like have read more about uh, these kind of crazy things that happen on uh, Thursday nights on Thanksgiving. Uh, but yeah, I, to, to me, that part kind of seemed preposterous. But uh, yeah, then, then when the gore kicks in, like that was uh, so unexpected. And I think a lot of fun and a great kind of like release for like this uh, opening. What, what did you think? I really liked it. I mean, that the intro and introducing of the characters is all fine, nothing special, but the chaos that ensues and the tension that builds once you know like these people are coming in something bad's gonna happen i think that was executed pretty well it's gory it's a little funny it's it is kind of sad and depressing Mm -hmm. and because we really do this as people um i thought it was a great great start to the film yeah and a great inciting incident it's thanksgiving is plagued by greed in real life and overconsumption probably and it's an interesting thing to discuss thematically in in a movie about thanksgiving yeah uh so you think that was like a pretty realistic uh portrayal of like panic or like uh yeah like a stampede happening at on on like the 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 black friday shopping event in some ways i mean it's outrageous because it's a gory slasher movie but that's how people have died at these. Like they get, they get trampled. Damn, I, I can understand why that guy. Like first he's locking the doors, and then they're like, "No, unlock the doors, unlock the doors." And then he goes to unlock it, and that's like when he gets killed. Is uh, like everyone like runs him over. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't understand like what, what what confusion was happening there. I think that they were like, "You got to lock the doors. This is too crazy. We can't let these people in." But then when they rushed the doors, people were getting pinned against the glass and. Oh you know, getting crushed, which is often what happens at music concerts. People get pushed yeah. against the stage and crushed when there's a similar crowd reaction at those kind of shows. So sure. yeah. I think they didn't know what, quite what to do. So to got me, it. it was realistic. And okay. they were underprepared with two security guards. Yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah, and there's some great like comedic moments too with like the waffle iron and something and like people like taking it off of like a dead person and stuff. It's exactly. Pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, from here, we transition to one year forward in time as we approach the next year's Thanksgiving with the same cast of characters. Wright is once again planning sale for Black Friday despite protests from some of the townspeople, including Mitch, the husband of Amanda, who was scalped. And uh, Jessica and her friends are getting mysteriously tagged in social posts that show a Thanksgiving dinner table set for them. The posts are coming from an account named John Carver, who is a real-life pilgrim who came over on the Mayflower and helped to found Plymouth, Massachusetts, where this story takes place. So he's a character that the town is familiar with as he is part of the town's story. So this is significant that this is coming from an account named John Carver. And their suspicion turns to fear when things get real. A woman working in a local diner is killed by someone wearing a John Carver mask. And we learn that this woman was played a role at the Wright Mart riot last year, causing the police and our group of friends to wonder 
if they are possible targets of this killer, since they were also present and kind of played a critical role in the riots, since them getting in early, you know, could have been interpreted as the cause of it all. This was a pretty elaborate and gruesome kill scene with this woman here. This is awesome. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. The the way like her face sticks to the, the freezer, like it's ripped that off. That was my favorite part with that he dunks her head in the sink, which is kind of tropey. You get that typical camera view from under the water of a person with their eyes wide open screaming in the water. But then he takes her out opens the freezer door and smashes her face against the freezer, which makes her cheek stick, and then he rips the skin off. Yeah. Very, very painful. <laughs> I think she rips it off, right? Like, she's trying to escape, so she, like, pulls her face off of oh, it. Oh, yeah, it may have been her doing it, yeah. Yeah, those, those well. And then, oh, my God, uh, in, with the car and the... In the garbage pan again? Yeah, she tries to climb into a dumpster, essentially, and then he rams her with a car while she's halfway in, so she's torn in half (laughs) at the legs, at the waist. (laughs) Yeah, that was wild. I I thought the mask was pretty cool looking. What did you think? You know, I have mixed feelings on the mask. I I enjoy the simplicity of it. I feel like I wish the design was just a little bit different to look a bit more intimidating yeah no it's like super plasticky and like fake and yeah he's like got like a whole pile of them so uh yeah it's not like the 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 most uh, scariest or anything yeah right but it could have been worse yeah um we learned that jessica's boyfriend bobby left plymouth shortly after the riot last year completely ghosting her and all of his friends and he is now suddenly back in town and is of course a person of suspicion for our cast of characters Um, and for Jessica's new boyfriend, Ryan, especially is suspicious of Bobby and the police are as well, but Jessica uncovers some never before seen security footage of last year's riots, which casts some suspicion on Ryan as well, making him a suspect in the murders. And so now you've got this thing where is it her old boyfriend or is it her new boyfriend? (laughs) And then the aggression between the two of them isn't helping either of their cases. Yeah. Uh, hey, one thing I was confused of, like in this sequence, is uh, these kids, like all that's happening to them is they're getting tagged on Instagram. Meanwhile, like other people around town are dying. Like they're no way, nowhere like close to these murders or deaths. Uh, but they're our main characters, so uh, we're following them for some reason, and they're and they're like fear. Uh, and two, like why why are they being brought into the police station? Like they're totally unrelated to to what's going on here. Well, they aren't. I mean, they find out eventually that their names are at the table, like with place settings. And we do also eventually see the body parts of the people he's killing placed at the table. And there's a John Carver mask at the scene of the murder. Yeah. So a John Carver mask at the scene of a murder and knowing that John Carver is tagging them. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. I think there's enough to, to, uh, think okay he's coming for you guys next yeah i don't know yeah but maybe not all of them yeah yeah i i guess uh just like the the role of social media here like uh if you woke up tomorrow and you were tagged in like some kind of instagram post uh i I don't know how alarming it would be and then you know it's the internet so you don't believe like anything you see on there anyway uh and so and i don't know if they know that like the attacker the killer was wearing the john carver mask either so yeah i guess i I didn't feel like uh, i understood why they were so scared just because of like something on instagram i think that was public information that a mask was found on that because he he usually leaves an extra mask 
at the scene of the crime. Oh yeah, so the it's cops not, knew. Yeah, but yeah. but did the kids know? Like, did they know? Like, hey, this uh, John Carver that's posting us uh, or like tagging us in these places is uh, there's also a killer wearing a John Carver mask, and we should be maybe extra scared about this. I think it's fair that they might know. Okay, based on reporting. Oh yeah, there was a reporter. Um. Also, I mean, it's not just someone tagging me. It's someone tagging me a year from when I possibly caused multiple people to die. Yeah, I don't know if these kids feel that, though. Um, like, I know they uh, like they they have the only, like, viral video of it that, that went live because one of them, like, jumped up and, like, shot the whole thing on his phone. But do you feel like they're living with, like, some kind of guilt that, like, they had anything to do with causing that massacre? Yeah, that's a good question. We don't go too deep into that. Yeah, I don't think, and I never like hear it raised like, "Oh, I feel so bad about this," and now someone knows. Because yeah, I, f- I feel like what you're describing is almost like an "I know what you did last summer" type of thing. Like, uh, we we don't talk about what we did, but it, it just seems like they're just being tagged, and I feel like people get tagged all the time on Instagram by randos. Okay, all right. I, I think I disagreed, but I, I see your point. All right. Um, more people are picked off by this mass killer, including a security guard who fled the scene shortly before last year's riots began and two high school students who were killed in the school. Um, And then when poking around the school after the murders, Jessica's friends Evan and Gabby are abducted by the killer, and Jessica barely escapes with her life after she's also attacked by the killer in the school. And after all this is going down, it's clear, you know, they are being pursued. Yeah. And Jessica's friend Yulia is informed by her father that they're getting the hell out of town since it seems like only a matter of time before Yulia is attacked. But as they're packing up and prepping to leave town, the killer comes and dispatches each of them. And Jessica and one of her last friends standing named Scuba arrive at Yulia's house, but are too late and get there just in time to see her disemboweled on a buzzsaw. And boy, there's a pretty iconic scene here where we know the killer's in the house and Yulia is putting in her contacts and they keep going to her eyes. Yeah. And it really feels like all right, something's going to happen to her eyes. <laughs> then you see the killer kind of stop uh, a corn cob that's rolling down on across the floor with his foot. And it's got those two, you know, corn holder fork thingies in it. So then you might think, oh, no, she's going to get stabbed in the eyes. He jams each of them into her ears simultaneously, which is a pretty intense moment. And then the sound kind of goes wonky for her. Ultimately, she's killed with that buzzsaw and her guts come spilling out. But I thought that was a really effective, intense scene. I think all the kills so far have been tense, gory, and kind of funny in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been uh, kind of splat sticky, uh, but like still like scary and gross. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree. This was a really great kill. I thought that cheerleader on the trampoline was amazing. That one, like, kind of kind of sticks with me. And uh, I, I think that's, like, from the 2007 trailer as well. Um, and, and, yeah, the guy with the cat. Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, all, all these scares, like, murders, like, they, they have, like, these kind of, like, jump out scares within them. Even, like, uh, Yulia, like, she's walking in the room and she doesn't see, like, he's standing right there, but we as the audience see it. Uh, so there's, there's some really cool mix of like, uh, really gory attacks, kind of funny, uh, like awesome to like kind of watch. So really nice stuff going on here. I think the biggest sin a slasher can commit, especially this day and age when we're all so aware of the slasher tropes and what we expect a slasher to be, the biggest sin it can make is kills that are underwhelming. Like oh, yeah. either they lack suspense 
They aren't creative enough. They're not bloody or gory enough. And this movie has all of that to me. It, it, it checks that box big time. I agree. I agree. That's like the biggest strength here. Yeah. After all of this, there is some consternation by the police and the Wright family as to whether they should still hold the annual Thanksgiving parade, but they decide they will swarm the parade with police and use the parade as bait to lure John Carver out of hiding. However, the parade quickly goes south when the guy in the turkey suit is decapitated, exactly the same way it was depicted in that 2007 trailer, and John Carver, the John Carver killer, sends smoke bombs into the crowd, causing enough confusion that he is able to successfully abduct Jessica, her father and stepmother, and her friend Scuba. So now we transition to, after that chaos, Jessica's stepmother Kathleen wakes up to John Carver brushing her with butter like she is going to be cooked. She manages to briefly escape before Carver gets her into a giant oven and cooks her until her skin starts to sizzle. That was a, such a fun sequence. Yeah. A fun sequence and, and more of a chase yeah. than we had seen. The other ones, they certainly had suspense, but it wasn't like this person has true hope of getting away. Mm-hmm. And it felt here that Kathleen might. Yeah, there's a real cat and mouse uh, dynamic about this. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It, yeah, that last like pitchfork that he throws at her, that was just <laughs> amazing. Because, yeah, she was like, out the door, and like we think she's getting out of there. But then, uh, holy shit, this guy pops up. Yeah, he does indeed. Uh, and Kathleen is then served at the Thanksgiving table as if she was a turkey. She's dead and cooked. Um, she's served at the table, and Gabby, Evan, Scuba, Jessica, and her father are all sitting around the table, bound and gagged. Carver ends up bludgeoning Evan to death with a meat tenderizer uh, while live streaming it, I believe, mm-hmm. and carves a piece of meat off of Kathleen and serves it to Jessica's father and is planning to force him to eat it uh, somewhere in there. He he vomits along the way, uh, which is, I think, isn't there a scene in Hostel where somebody barfs like through their mouth restraints? Oh, maybe. I know this, this guy's is also so in Hostel. So gross to me. Yeah, he is, right. Yeah, I wonder if he's the one that's uh, puking in Hostel. Um, Just then, Jessica and Scuba break free of their ropes, and Jessica makes a run for it with Carver hot on her heels. She manages to make her way over a fence in the woods shortly before Carver catches up with her, and once she clears the fence, she makes a clean break and reunites with the police. The police leave her alone with Sheriff Newland while the rest of them go to rescue the remaining survivors around the Thanksgiving table. But when the two of them are alone, Jessica notices that Sheriff Newland has burrs from the plants near the fence stuck to his shoes, just like she has stuck to her shoes. Hey, uh, she f- she she runs into the Sheriff Newland, right? Remember, he's like on the ground and his face is all bloodied up, and then he goes in and like supposedly shoots Bobby or something. Yeah, right. There there is a scene here where it seems like Bobby was the killer and that Sheriff Newland had dispatched him and now oh yeah yeah okay cool cool i kind of skipped that part all right i I got a question about that part later oh okay all right um but anyway this lets her know like okay sheriff newland was right there with me in that same patch of the woods so he was you know he's the killer and he confesses to her that he was having an affair with amanda uh that woman who got scalped earlier played by gina gershon and she was planning to leave her husband and she was pregnant with Sheriff Newland's child. 
So all these murders have been motivated by his desire to avenge his family who were killed during last year's Right Mart riot. Did you see that coming? A little bit. Oh, no. Yeah. You thought it was this guy? I didn't the whole time. You know, I, I had my suspicions where like, maybe it's Ryan, maybe it's Bobby. But then at the end of the day, I was like, you know, he seems an unlikely culprit, but he was the one who lost the most, seemingly. We didn't know he was having an affair, mm-hmm. but he seemed pretty broken up. Uh, it was him who had the killer point of view at the beginning of the film with the uh, heavy breathing. Yeah. So you think, oh, it's not, you know, false alarm, it's not the killer, but the trick <laughs> is. is it was the killer. Yeah, yeah. They made it obvious so that it, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I, I still think it's a, a plot that was effective enough in making you wonder who the killer might be. Yeah, I, I was definitely wondering. Uh, I thought the reveal of this and like it being him and that being his motive was a little underwhelming. Like for everything that was like building up, uh, I thought it was gonna be like Gina Gershon or something. Like like she didn't actually die or something, and she's back uh, for revenge or her dead mother. Because like the, uh, I feel like throughout the movie she has like this locket on her of her dead mother. That's oh, like oh right. Uh, so yeah, they, I feel like they brought up some other characters that might have been more interesting to bring back as the killer, but. I don't know. Sure. Wait, you were pretty satisfied with this guy being the killer? I was satisfied. I think if you get too complicated, you get into a whole scream thing where it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. complicated enough where you didn't don't see it necessarily coming, but simple enough that it's not outrageous. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, anyway, I, it's kind of it's it's kind of it feels a little like uh, nonsensical, doesn't it? It's slightly outrageous and nonsensical, but I feel like it has to be. Yeah, right, to fit the film. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica has secretly captured this confession on video and live-streamed it with a phone, and just as Sheriff Newland goes to kill her, Bobby comes to the rescue. A scuffle ensues, and Bobby and Jessica try to escape, but Newland has them trapped as he approaches with an axe. But Jessica saves the day by opening a canister of helium and firing an old-timey musket at a parade balloon as the helium's being pumped into it. This causes an explosion that engulfs the sheriff in flames and presumably kills him even though the police are nev- never able to locate his body. And then at the end of the film, Jessica reunites with Gabby, Ryan, and Scuba, and the film ends with her sleeping next to Ryan but having a nightmare that Sheriff Newland is lurking in her bedroom closet. Mm-hmm. Which is, I feel like the film leaving the door open to a sequel. We never find the body. She's haunted by his memory. Mm-hmm. I think there could very easily be a Thanksgiving too. Damn, yeah, I could see that. Uh, nothing's been announced yet, right? Nothing's been announced yet. There was also that scene when he was cooking Kathleen where he left his mask sit on the stove. Right. And it gets a little burned. And he's like, oh, sure, I'm, I'll still wear this. Like I like the look of it. And I wonder if that's a bit of foreshadowing to him coming back right. as the killer in the next one with a burnt face. Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't understand how it was him because I think that sequence gets a little clunky there where she runs away from the dinner party and like runs into him, like kind of knocked out on the ground. Like, so, so you're telling me between like him chasing her and her getting away, he went back, got dressed as a cop. Or like, yeah, into his normal clothes. And then went and like uh, picked up like Bobby somewhere. And then, uh, yeah, somehow felt like, yeah, got, got in a fight with him or something and like uh, wound up like wounded on the ground. Like, how, how did that work out? 
Yeah, the mechanics of that are difficult. And some of our friends on the Discord server had some complaints like, it seems, based on a couple scenes in the movie, that it would have been impossible for it to have been him. Because you're seeing him like doing other things while like the killer's around? Yeah, right, right. And even like when they were in the school, I can't quite remember, but I thought he had just been outside the yeah, school. Yeah, I thought so um, too, yeah. And a lot of slashers have this same beef where it's like, how could they have been there and there at the same time? Scream always solves that problem with two killers, yeah. but I'm glad we didn't go a two-killer route here. I agree that there's probably some questionable mechanics to how it could be him and how he appears other places very close <laughs> to that timeline. Yeah. But but it didn't bother me too much. Okay, yeah. Perhaps the, it was willful ignorance on my part. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I was also super confused by that. Uh, once it like became obvious it was going to be him, I, for me it was obvious once like they're in the room together uh, and, and like the other police have walked away. Uh, yeah. Then it's like, all right, it's totally this guy. Sure, right. Yeah. This had some similarities to, of all the like holiday-themed slashers, I found like this one was the most similar to My Bloody Valentine, the original. Oh, like yeah. it takes place in a small town. There's a love triangle. Yep. And there's a strong desire by the killer to not have the town do a Valentine's Day dance. Kind of similar to like, I don't want the store to participate in the tr- tradition of Black Friday. Like mm-hmm. that's maybe a leap, but it just it had Bloody Valentine vibes to me. Sure. Was there like a main character in that that was a cop too? In uh, Valentine? Boy, good question. I I know in the remake, Tom Atkins was the sheriff. But yeah, was one of them a cop? Yeah. Good so, question. I feel like you might be onto something. Yeah, there. either in the original or the remake, I, I feel like, yeah, there's definitely like a cop involved there too. Which I guess yeah. there always is in these slashers as like one of the sure. characters. Sure, that's true. Yeah. I, I think that I was... I almost wish I had watched the 2007 trailer before this because I was pretty jazzed, as I said before, to go back and watch it and be like, oh, they actually stuck to their guns and included those scenes, even the girl on the trampoline, which I think was done a bit more tastefully this time than in the trailer. (laughs) Yeah, lots changed since 2007. (laughs) Yeah, oh man, all those 2007 trailers are wildly offensive. Uh, Yeah, Like to the last of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they were in different times back then. Uh, uh, yeah, we were, but they're also leaning into it. Like, hmm. it's the grindhouse mo. A yeah, bit. And I, I think that's where I was going in the beginning. We're like, uh, that totally set a different tone for the film than I feel like what this one delivered. And like going back and watching that trailer today, and like, that, that was so awesome. It had like a vintage vibe to it. It was very like schlocky, lo-fi, uh, like really cheesy, over the top, like cheese dialogue. Um, and just like kills all over the place. And this this feels like a way more serious film in in uh, respect to uh, in comparison to to that trailer, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think that works. Like that was the mission in that two thousand five. Like that was the aesthetic or two thousand seven. That was the aesthetic they were trying to fit. That was the movie going experience they were trying to have. And I think to come in and try to like, did you have any desires that they would try to make it like that throwback this time with like the film popping and the imperfections and stuff. Yeah, I would have loved that. That would have been so cool. That would have been a, a great like stylistic choice uh, to like kind of like copy that kind of groundhouse feel that I, I think is what resonated with people when they saw that trailer back in the day. Yeah, but I think that that would have been aping that whole experience and kind of, 
I think that would feel a little gross, like stealing from Tarantino and Rodriguez or piggybacking off of the success of that. I mean, it inherently is because it's a trailer he made for it. But right. I think to steal that aesthetic for a movie 16 years later would feel a little weird. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Maybe Not we'll... like, how dare you, but it would just be like, oh, oh, we're going back to this. <laughs> At least for me, I would have. I'm yeah. glad he chose to go the route he did with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I was looking for like uh, because of that, maybe because of like films like Thanks Killing, which I associated with Thanksgiving before. Uh, I, I think that kind of like set my expectations for how much slack. And, and this movie does have comedy in it, and like some like as you mentioned, like amazing kills and stuff. But uh, I, I feel like that trailer does a disservice by setting the expectations higher on like a, this is the kind of camp you're going to expect, and you don't necessarily get that one. I think that's what I like about Eli Roth so much is that he makes his films pretty sincere for the most part, but they're also juggling the tone really well and adding some comedy and also being just like, not a send up, but an homage to bygone eras of filmmaking in different types of film. Like the Green Inferno is super modern, but it's definitely an homage to those cannibal jungle movies of the seventies. And he's making them in his sincerity. He kind of effectively homages those other ones because it's not necessarily so tongue in cheek that it's like, Hey, look what I'm doing. But he's more being coming at it the same way. Those directors would have come at it. Like Mm. I know what I'm making. I'm making cheap, outrageous schlock, I'm trying to go balls to the wall with it. Yeah, it's self-aware, but not so self-aware that it's obnoxious. Yeah, I I didn't. Uh, so so you do, you do think there's like a a sense of like cheapness here, or like uh, just outrageousness? Because uh, to, to me, this felt like very similar to Scream, just with like way better kills and maybe the same amount of jokes. Uh, I don't or, or less. I couldn't tell. Not a cheapness in a uh, like a low quality perspective but uh i'm really leaning into these kind of tropes and to these moments whether they be gross out moments or typical teen slasher drama moments like an example when ryan jessica's like in some sort of peril and bobby puts his coat around her and then Ryan comes on the scene and is like, baby, you okay? And he goes to hug her and he like really smoothly pushes Bobby's coat off of her as he <laughs> hugs her. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like a perfect like, oh, two guys fighting over the same girl, burn. Yeah. And it's not played to be silly in the movie, but I think Eli Roth knows like, oh man, this is so like hammy that he would do this but like he totally has to do this yeah like i i think he knows he's playing into that tropey love triangle dynamic but he does so sincerely at the same time as sure to kind of like, having some fun with it too yeah he kind of makes fun of it yeah yeah that's true yeah there were like little moments like that throughout the movie where uh yeah i think it got good laughs from the crowd and stuff uh where it's like kind of tongue-in-cheek i think that in the crowd experience too, I really enjoy like the cringy, like when you can feel the audience collectively cringing at something gruesome that's happening 
or when everyone's kind of nervous laughing at the same time at something super gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, that experience, I, I was not let down by it. Did you have a good theater? Yeah. Surprisingly, like I, I thought when I got there, it was like pretty empty, but it, it kind of got a little full. And then, uh, yeah, there was like a lot of like uh, emotions going throughout the film. People being grossed out by things like, oh, man, uh, how does that one guy with the cat die? Like, does he stick like a, a food processor into his stomach or something? I cannot remember the details of that kill for the life of me. Yeah. Or so Julia's I'm... kill was like, yeah, that, that got a big reaction from the crowd. The, oh, the guts yeah. coming out. Yeah, that was pretty vicious. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, my theater was pretty crowded. Yeah, and I was surprised. People were, like, really into it. It was it seemed like a younger crowd, too. Like, people, uh, I don't know if it was, like, Eli Roth's name or just, like, a horror film on Thanksgiving or what the appeal was, but it, it got a crowd. Yeah, hopefully hopefully it'll keep getting crowds. And, and Eli Roth hasn't, he's been involved in horror producing and stuff like that. He hasn't directed a horror film since 2013, Screen Inferno. Yeah, it's so been a long time. It had been a while for him. Ten years, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, we talked about like what makes his films work and like his like DNA and, uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Like there was some like tongue in cheekness here or like, uh, moments where it's like kind of playing to like making fun of tropes and obviously the kills are really cool. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's still like something to me that like tied this to like a movie like Scream where, uh, it is it's missing like that certain inventiveness that I, I would have liked from Eli Roth where it, it does kind of at its at its like basic level still feels like a pretty formulaic slasher in some ways just with like better kills and some some like more interesting and fun sequences right yeah I mean I think that's what I was expecting and that's what I got I, I it is a formulaic slasher it is an homage to other formulaic slashers with holidays in their title. I meant to look at the IMDb trivia because I'm sure there were probably a few homages to other films. My Bloody Valentine, Black Christmas, Halloween. Yeah. Um, But it was that. I mean, it was exactly what all those other films that have become the definitive holiday movie do. Like they're fairly vapid slashers but they're entertaining and I feel like this is more entertaining than a lot of them because the kills are more outrageous than a lot of those movies mm-hmm. and the suspense is better than a lot of those films. I agree. Like it's no yeah. it's no Halloween, but it outdoes the My Bloody Valentines and the April Fools days of the world in my opinion when it comes to kills and suspense. I agree. Yeah, he, he knocked those out of the park. But then I feel like, uh, yeah, I would have like, I feel like the ending could have been like way more interesting and better and it didn't have to like six. I get it. Like you stick to the formula for like 80, 90% of the film, like follow the tropes, make fun of them. But then I feel like the ending like played too closely to like things that we've seen uh, in like so many slashers. Like they, no one found the body and she's still having like the pop out scares. Like uh, I, I get it. Like you're paying homage to that. And that being like a... That a, felt like an original Friday the 13th homage. <laughs> sure. Yeah, where it pops out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Like, uh, that, that's cool. But why not just uh, have like a unexpected, like, uh, yeah, something way more interesting that we haven't seen yet. Like, I mean, sometimes homages work and then sometimes you, you want like something you haven't tasted before. Sure. I, uh, I, when it comes to Thanksgiving, I like comfort food and I like familiar <laughs> tastes. <laughs> And that is what I received yeah. in this Thanksgiving meal from Eli Roth. So yeah, I was pleased. I was pleased as punch, to be honest with you. 
that's what I hate the most about Thanksgiving. I feel like it's always the same dish, and it's like uh, you, you always want like something, you know, mix it up with uh, something like uh, try a fusion or something, or, or give me a different type of bird, give me an ostrich or something. You know, it's uh, there's so many variations you could do to make things interesting, and uh, yeah, I think uh, to from a plot standpoint, I feel like you played it too close, like what's already been done. Uh, but I, I hear you. There's a balance. Is this like a really embarrassing moment where you just invited yourself to my house for Thanksgiving to eat this ostrich? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Thanks front for of picking all up on that. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Come, just come. I, You're I'm invited. trying to get away from this turkey here. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, do you think? Uh, you know, I think to other a big downfall of slashers. Like we talked about, what makes slashers good, and yeah, this film like does that with the kills and the suspense. Um, but a big downfall can be too many characters. I feel like this film kind of went into that, but what do you think? I didn't think there were too many. And, and yeah, we don't really get a good feel on any of them, but I feel like the performances are decent enough, especially from, what's her name, Nell Ver- Verlack? I hope that's how it's pronounced. Please, As Jessica. Jessica. Yeah. You know, it's not a, a showy performance. There's not a whole lot to do with the character. But I think she was steady enough that, you know, you're with her, you're in her shoes for the movie, and that was enough. And, and yeah, there's a lot of characters, but enough of them are pronounced enough that it's fine. You're like, okay, that's the cocky one, and that's his girlfriend, or whatever. They're fodder for the killer. Mm. And to a certain extent, if you want to have a lot of cool kills, you need a lot of characters. Yeah, that's true. If there's any movie to too, have too many characters in, it's a slasher. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But in, in uh, I guess it makes the kills memorable by like focusing on like the way these people are killed versus like you being too bought into that character and having like some kind of attachment there. So they substitute yeah. that. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. This was not an emotional journey. You know, there's it's not a deep movie. Although I I've got I've got a reading you could you could put on it, but. You know, it's a remake or it's an adaptation of a 2007 Grindhouse trailer where a guy in a turkey suit gets decapitated and a girl on a trampoline gets stabbed in her crotch as she bounces on the... Like, (laughs) to make that into a movie, I don't really expect an emotional journey. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You're looking for something pretty surface level there. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, maybe too many characters just give us more room for kills. Um, the other thing, oh, that dinner scene, I thought that was like, the, like this whole movie is building up to that, right? The Instagram posts, the, the cooking of the, the stepmother or whatever. Uh, and then like the, the, everyone's like there face to face with uh, this killer. He's using a really cool voice and there's like some crazy stuff going down at this table. Uh, they cut it way too short, didn't they? Like they, they're only at that dinner table for like five, 10 minutes. I don't think it was cut too short, but it would have been interesting if the climax of the film happened there. It's like, a, yeah. And the final showdown with the baddie happened there. They could have extended that scene a little longer. Yep. Because it was a great setting. It was a great setup. Yeah. And the whole yeah, movie was Yeah, if there's anywhere to, to spend more time, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that, that was a miss. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah. 
I, I still go back on the, uh, on the plot. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we talked about obviously that there's some challenges with the how this cop was the bad guy when he was in multiple places potentially. Even uh, like so, Bobby just goes missing after like the first uh, scene. He's been gone for a year. Then he just comes back, and she's like all buddy buddy with him and ready to like solve a murder with him. Uh, the whole relationship between her and her new boyfriend uh, didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like there were unnecessary characters, like the guy who owns, like, the guns, and, uh... I love that guy for some reason. (laughs) I I couldn't tell why he was there, like, uh, it was just, like, a random, like, uh, storyline that... I thought she was gonna end up with him in the end. No way. (laughs) Because he was just, like, really empowering her. Yeah, but he was, like, this creep who, like, was selling booze to, like, inviting kids to his place and, like, making them buy tickets to drink at his place. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah. It was a weird scene where they went and like, you know, armed themselves at his yeah. party or whatever. He, yeah. But for some reason, I didn't mind that detour. I kind of liked that character and that like that that uh, like him arming himself. I don't think that ever even like came to fruition in any way. Like that, I don't think that gun ever came out, did it? I I think that's why they felt confident enough to go to Yulia's house, and I think they were armed when they went to her house, oh. like thinking they were going to save her, but. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how that all went down. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, I had a few of those issues. Uh, yeah, pretty much. But I, I think I, I'm with you on the strengths. Like, the really awesome kills. And, and like, pretty scary, too, sometimes. So it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I feel like this isn't really a counter-argument to you because I'm. it's kind of a way to dodge it instead. But my thought in the plot is, like, it's a slasher. It doesn't need to be complex. All it needs to do is provide the opportunity for these elaborate set piece kills which it does and create enough doubt and suspicion to keep us wondering who the killer is which i think it does so that's all i really needed from it on that front but you're right you're right it's not a dense or particularly well crafted plot it just is there there's one other element, though, when you think about slashers that I think is critical. It's the the final girl character, right? Like being this person who's able to overcome, uh, you know, all her friends being killed and stuff and all, going through all this and, like, coming out on top. Do you feel like we get that with Jessica? No, I don't think she's an iconic final girl at all. I think she's perfectly adequate, um, but she's just not. It's almost like not in the cards. It's not really the type of movie to propel a final girl to... Yeah the forefront of it it's yeah yeah it's, which, it's just not that kind of slasher yeah yeah which i i, I think a, a good slasher should have uh, so i i feel like that part was kind of missing it was cool to see her like load like the old school gun at the end and right and i had of, a feeling that's how it would all go down because she had mentioned previously how right. she's no good with those <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was, that was cool to see but i i agree i, I feel like uh that was one of the things the film might have also been missing is just like a strong uh final character sure so you you mentioned earlier about how, you know, there is a little bit of pushback on Thanksgiving and maybe it's a problematic holiday. And I think Roth kind of riffs on that because at one point he has a student give up, stand up and give a speech. We don't hear the whole speech he gives in class, but he's like, and that's why I'm never celebrating Thanksgiving again. <laughs> and everyone's like, you know, cheering him on. And then he leaves the classroom with two women on his arms yeah. like, oh, like you're so sensitive and stuff. Chat. And yeah, yeah, I think Roth has always kind of been like anti-social justice warrior. Interesting. So but I th- go ahead. He's always like kind of trolling people who are on on the social justice train. A little bit in some of his movies, it seems that way, and yeah. in like interviews. Mm. I, I don't think he's. 
against their causes, but he's, I think he's basically just suspicious of anybody who's on their soapbox and that they're really just selfishly trying to sure. get the attention for themselves. But I also think he, while he's not the type to put an on-the-nose theme in his movie, you could read a little bit of like the you know Thanksgiving colonialism, genocide of Native Americans into the theme. Like, so there's this theme of consumerism and greed and unquenchable desire for more with the whole Black Friday thing. So if you're looking at that as like a parallel to European settlers invading America and nearly wiping out an entire race of people. You could kind of find that theme in the movie. Like it starts out with a flood of people consumed by the desire for more Mm -hmm. invading a space and plundering it of all its resources. But in that mad dash for more, they have trampled over other people and killed them in their quest for more. And then we're left with a killer seeking vengeance for, you know, the violent disregard of the lives close to him and his relatives who were made victims so that others could have more so i wonder if that's intentionally a theme he put in the movie uh or if it's just there you know he's trying to go on a theme of consumerism but it parallels the theme of why thanksgiving might be a problem yeah no i i like your connection there of uh consumerism colonialism and like greed kind of like yeah bringing to this uh creating this massacre I think that seems around those. I think that might be what like disappoints me about the ending is because th- th- I think uh, if they had a character who was more like Taita, like the fact that it's Patrick Dempsey, the sheriff, is the guy, and because he was having an affair with his friend's uh, wife, uh, I feel like that kind of took like my interest and motivation out of it. Like, oh, it's just this dude who cares about him. But uh, that, I think that would be really cool. That's something that I thought was missing in this film, like that idea of like bringing in like the you know Native American or like minority story into this, and like uh, like a sense of like oppression or like the the cost they feel. And I thought the movie like pr- pr- like uh, purposely avoided going down that route. But interesting to think of him as maybe like a stand-in for uh, that group um, of people in marginalized th- populations. Yeah, I feel like if he had had that character be and. It- can't say I know Eli Roth, but he doesn't seem the type to go so far as to like spoon feed you this. Yeah. So if he did want to put that theme in there, I do not think he would have made Patrick Dempsey. you right. Like, uh, the the killer. Native American or a person oh, yeah. of color or anything like that because it would be too obvious. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's true. I don't know. I, I wonder if he's sneaking it in through the back door or if it's just coincidence. Yeah. No, that's a good read. Interesting. Okay. Well. Now that we've talked this up, well, let's do the rating first, and then we'll <laughs> circle back on whether this could be a definitive Thanksgiving horror film. Yeah. So, zero to five corn holders in your ears, what do you give this movie? Uh, I give this three corn holders in the ears. Uh, I think Thanksgiving serves up some of the year's most creative kills with a small side of laughs, but perhaps it's too well done for its own good, as the schlock from the 2007 the uh, trailer feels absent here and uh, yeah I, I, I kind of uh, you know going back and watching that trailer I was like holy shit this trailer blows me away it's amazing and I, I wish there's some more of that schlockiness in this film but I also hear a point where like yeah, I wonder how that would have translated into a two hour film uh, 13 or 15 years later or whatever so sure. yeah curious but what about you alright props for the food puns thanks yeah you, your three out of five is the sense I'm getting from some of our other listeners Um, But I'm going four out of five corn holders in my ears. I think those looking for a straightforward slasher that delivers 
bloody entertaining kills with the right dose of humor will not be disappointed. I, you know, I always feel a little bad when it feels like I'm lowering my standards for a film, but I go back to my analogy, which is (laughs) fitting for Thanksgiving of a five out of five steak is different than a five out of five piece of garlic bread or mashed potatoes or whatever. Like (laughs) this isn't the thematically rich. This isn't the shining. This isn't, uh, it follows. It's not whatever, you know, whatever you're, the movie, the horror movie you hold most dear to you is and feel as a work of cinematic import. Yeah. This isn't that, you know, it's, it's the side, it's the side dish. It's something light and entertaining and you just, you know, shovel it down. And I think it is what it is perfectly like, and it could be better. I'm not going five out of five. Yeah. There there are weaknesses that the characters aren't that huge of a strength. The plot is basic. And yeah, the showdown could have happened during that dinner. That was a not squandered because I think that dinner table scene was really cool. Mm-hmm. But if you got that opportunity and that setting that you've been building to the whole time, why not spend more time there? I think you're right. Yeah. But uh, I still think it's a great movie. Yeah. No, I know. I totally hear. I, I think you're right. For for a slasher, uh, and, and if you just go in with like just looking for a slasher, then yeah, it, it delivers what you came in for. I think the, the two things, though, that uh, hurt hurt that kind of uh, way of going, or the two things that make it hard to look at it that way for me are one, that it's Eli Roth. He's not just like any other director he's like someone who's got a reputation for like doing pretty like outrageous stuff and like uh usually i feel like his movies have like something to say or like uh something to like kind of uh troll on and then secondly i think there's the trailer from like 2007 which uh for me like set high expectations so slasher wise awesome but then when you have those two things kind of setting expectations higher i think for me that that's where it feels like a little bit disappointing okay well do you think it is a contender if not for the definitive Thanksgiving horror film, but like for some people, it very well could be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's called Thanksgiving. It's a fun watch. Uh, but I still feel like the first movie that's always going to come to my mind is Thanksgiving. And I haven't even seen that one, but I've just, it just sounds like so ridiculous and so like on the nose about this holiday that uh, I, I think I'd want to see that one first before committing to this one. But what, what do you think? I think it's definitely a contender. I mean, These Thanksgiving movies exist, but they're not household names. And I think not only is this a a good movie, and just being titled simply Thanksgiving is an asset, I think the more Thanksgiving horror films we make, the more viewers will dig into Thanksgiving horror, Mm. and they'll, you know, then we get more, here's the top 10 Thanksgiving horror movies, here's some Thanksgiving horror movies you should watch type lists. And then the more people dig into those the more people will have their own definitive Thanksgiving horror film. And I think through the quality of this movie, it it undoubtedly will come to the top of at least some people's list. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think uh, we're on a mission to make Thanksgiving horror films more uh, part of our culture. Yeah, yeah, and I'm on a mission to go check out at least Blood Rage and some of these other Thanksgiving horror films. Have you seen Thanksgiving or Pilgrim? Uh, I've seen like the first 10 minutes of Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> all right. pretty dumb yeah sounds like <laughs> uh, alright buddy anything else no that's all I got alright well that has been our discussion on Thanksgiving uh, we hope you enjoyed it if so please give us a 5 star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, if you want to connect with us go to horrormovieclub.com you can click on the social links drop down to find links to Twitter and Instagram 
Uh, that's and Facebook. That's where we tell you what movie we're covering next week. And there's also a link there to our Discord server where you can jump on and socialize with other listeners and horror fans. It's a great community we have there. Also on horrormovieclub.com, there's a big orange button for Patreon. Subscribe for a dollar a month and gain access to some bonus episodes. Our logo is done by Amy May Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com by searching Amy May Popart, all one word. And until next time, if you're thinking about going shopping on Black Friday, I would be sure to cut your hair as short as possible in case you end up getting up close and personal with the wheels of a shopping cart. <laughs> Gross, yeah. Don't get that. I'm already ready. Yeah, you're in a good spot for that. <laughs> you got I can there. go skin to wheel. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> no risk there. That's good.